my friends. I'm Cindy McMillan. I'm so glad you're here. Welcome to Exploring the Seasons of Life podcast. Exploring the Seasons of Life is a metaphor for understanding the complexities of being alive. It is a reminder that life is filled with ups and downs, joys and sorrows, and moments of both growth and stagnation. Life is a journey, and each season brings its own unique lessons and experiences. As we move through the different seasons of life, we learn, we grow, and we become better versions of ourselves. Life is a beautiful and precious gift, and it is up to us to make the most of it. Each week, I interview spiritual explorers, amazing coaches, and authors from all walks of life about beginnings, endings, and the messy bits in between. Self-love, well-being, and mindset are at the heart of those conversations because once you change the inside, the outside will begin to change as well. So I am so thrilled to introduce my guest. Jay Parker is a Christian sex author, speaker, blogger, and podcaster. Her ministry, Hot, Holy, and Humorous, focuses on helping others understand God's design for sexual intimacy in marriage. Jay has a personal story of redemption in the area of sexuality, holds a master's degree in counseling, and lives in Texas with her fabulous but oh-so-logical husband, fondly named Spock. Jay, welcome to Exploring the Seasons of Life podcast. I am so excited you're here. I'm thrilled to be here as well. I love the focus of your podcast. Oh, thank you. I always start the interview with this question. And what does exploring the seasons of life mean to you personally or in your business? I see application on both sides. So personally, just quickly, I'll say that to me, it's meant an openness for what is coming next in my life. So there was a time I would have never imagined this is what I would be doing with my life (laughs) right now. But there was a time when I was focused on raising my kids. Then there was a time that I got into doing children's ministry, believe it or not. Um, I stepped away from that. I was doing some writing and then I got into this. And it's just about kind of an openness of, okay, God, where do you want to take me next? And a willingness to use your experiences and your talents and your interests to do something fresh and apply it to your life. So, and and that's where I found myself here. Um, professionally, because I'm talking a lot of times to wives uh, and or couples about sexual intimacy in marriage, there are seasons for that in your marriage. So this idea that you get married and then you're just going to have a sex life and that's the sex life you have for your whole marriage, it's just not true. And the more that we understand that there are ups and downs and sweet spots and challenges and all of that, then the better we're able to weather that and um, create something really beautiful. Jay, I love everything that you were you were saying, and because one of the things that I often think about, and I'm going to go straight into the you know the the our sex lives in marriage, but one of the things I often think about is how married couples, and I know we'll talk about this later on, but they go from this hot and heavy, you know, and everything's, you know, romantic to a sex life that just kind of almost, if you don't pay attention to it, just withers away. 
And I know we're going to talk about that later, but I just wanted to put that out there as you were talking about what it means exploring the seasons of life in that season. When I stumbled across your website, I loved everything about it. And when I read your headline and your tagline, Sex and Marriage by God's Design, Making It Hot, Keeping It Holy, and Embracing Its Humor, I was immediately intrigued. And I'm going to tell you, I immediately reached out to you because <laughs> I loved yeah. it. And can you talk about why you started your blog? Yeah. So in the bio you read for me, I said that there was a personal redemption story in this area. So I have talked openly about my premarital promiscuous past and how it really negatively impacted me. And I had to kind of wrestle through that, not just myself, but with God. Uh, I think God, well, God had a much easier time forgiving me than I did forgiving myself. And moving on from the negative messages about myself that I had in my head. And and then, but I got through that. I wrestled through that. I began to really embrace God's grace and pursue His blessings in the here and now, knowing that He wasn't continuing to punish me. He wanted to, to bring me something great. And then I found myself in conversations a lot of times with wives about this and wanting them to enjoy the sex in their marriage the way God intended us to. And so I kept feeling God's nudging that I was supposed to do even more with this testimony, but it's not an easy thing to have. You know, you don't usually raise your hand in Bible class and say, hey, let me tell you how God really changed my sex life. (laughs) That's not your normal, you know, testimony. And yet that was kind of the area in my life where God had just shown up big and done wondrous things. So I kind of looked at it sort of like a Moses moment where I was like, okay, God, I do like to write and I know you want me to do something. So I'll just blog and then I can kind of tick that box and say, I followed you. (laughs) And then uh, people began finding me. And I guess it, it hit a place that people needed to hear about this stuff. And so it kind of expanded, expanded, and I leaned into it more. Like I said, that openness to things. And you know, now it's been 12 years. But the reason the hot, holy humor has happened is at first I was like, yes, I think it should be hot and holy. And I just felt like something was missing, though, from that. And then I realized it was that I thought that you had to have a sense of humor about it as well. That, I mean, sex is funny. Let's just say that. (laughs) Um, You know, you got to get, you got to both get naked. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> um, you have to get into positions that you would not normally get into unless I don't know, maybe you've got a very ambitious yoga instructor. And there's a, a playfulness about it, if you're engaging in it well in your marriage. And so that's how that all came together. Now, can you tell the story about Jay Parker, the just oh, using yeah. the initial? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. Because when I started the the blog, not only was I reluctant to do it to begin with, I was anonymous. And so I only used my initial J. Now, I will say this, my kids were young, and that was a big part of the, the think thinking then. And since once they got a little older, 
then I went ahead and did that. And I always wrote with the idea that I would eventually be not just the initial, but a name and a face. But it did kind of allow me to go slowly and tread in there. And then once I went ahead and added the the last name and the face, just so many people knew me as Jay and even said that that helped them to feel more confident to comment on my blog with just their initial. So I just kept it. And it's been great. Everybody refers to me as Jay and I like it. It's a good initial. <laughs> You know, I, what you just said about somebody being able to comment with just their initial, I can see the safety mm-hmm. they would feel in, in doing that. Because not everybody wants to comment on things where everybody knows, you know, oh, Sally Sue down the street, you know. Yes, yes. I've always said you can type anonymous into the box if you want to, the name box. I think the way it works, you have to provide something else. But anyway, but yes, I'm like, type your initial you know, anonymous, or I somebody who commented a lot of times, happily married, <laughs> they commented. So, you know, I think it's fine, because this is a sensitive area. And we can be a little nervous to say things publicly, but also we don't want to ever embarrass our spouse by sharing something or asking questions that might, that just might embarrass them. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Jay, I just want to ask the question, what does, and you have kind of touched on this, but what does hot, holy, and humorous mean to you um, in a marriage? Now, you've talked about it be, you know, being playful and everything, but mm-hmm. was there anything else about that that you wanted to go into a little bit? Yeah, I would say The hot part to me represents that this is supposed to be something that is pleasurable, that is mutually desired, mutually satisfying. It's supposed to feel good. Sex is supposed to feel good. It's supposed to be something you enjoy doing. And so I have quite a few things on the blog and in my books where I'm helping people figure out some ideas for making sure it feels good. Because I think that's an important aspect. And you're going to, you know, I don't want to tell somebody, go have sex when they don't enjoy it. That's not the point. It's it's to figure out how you can desire and enjoy the experience. And then you'll want to do it more. And holy is that this is something, this is a gift from God. This is something that God came up with. And so it needs to be something that honors God and also, according to his commands, honors others. So it needs to honor both husband and wife. And so if it doesn't feel like it's that now, well, then that's something we need to work toward is figure out how this can be something that is God honoring and mutually respectful. And then, of course, the humorous part is you know, sometimes I do feel like we need to lighten up and sort of enjoy and be be playful and introduce flirtation and, you know, laughter into the bedroom. Oh, I agree with that so much. Um, Sometimes I will send my fiance a text in the morning, you know, just to kind of flirt, flirt with him. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. I just I just think that keeps that um, excitement alive. 
Yeah. And, and I like that you're doing that because it needs to be intentional. You know, these seasons, it's, if it's a fiance, a lot of us can remember those times early on in the relationship or when we're, you know, engaged or we're first married, that those things kind of come naturally. And so, you know, my site and everything I talk about, it has to do with intentionality and kind of keeping that going. And well, what do we need to do in this season to keep it going? Well, what do we need to do in this season to keep it going? And that kind of flirtation can be important whether you're in year one or like me, year 30, if you're marriage. You know, Jay, that takes me to what I really want to talk about next. And that is why in, in, you've written books and, and you talk to many, many women and couples. What makes it so difficult for a husband and wife to discuss their intimate life. I mean, I talk to women and friends as well. And and a lot of times when I hear them talk, they'll say things to me that they're not even saying to their husband. Yeah, very true. And I'm, <laughs> yeah, and I'm, just, and I'm just kind of thinking, and I think often, why is that so difficult to say to the person that you love? There are so many reasons for this. So I'll try to get into some of the main ones that that I think are operating for a lot of people. One is we don't necessarily always have the language for it. Some people grew up with this isn't talked about at all. And so they don't really know how to talk about it. Other people grew up with a situation of it always being talked about in crass language. And so they know they're not supposed to do that with their spouse, but they don't know what else to do. We also fear revealing ourselves what our desires are and, you know, what what we want, what we like, or what's going on. I mean, there's certainly wives out there who have, say, faked an orgasm with a husband and they don't want to admit that. Uh, <laughs> but or, and, and don't want to admit that it's difficult for them to figure out how to achieve orgasm. Some of that is also we don't want our spouse to feel bad. And so if we say, hey, I want to do something different in the bedroom, are they going to take it personally? Are they going to think I'm not happy with them? And all those things. I think also these conversations are difficult to have for some people because there could be sexual trauma in your past. And so the arena of sex has the potential for triggering some bad emotions. And, uh, you know, understandably, in wanting to avoid the negative emotions, you just avoid the conversation. And also that can happen if sex conversations end up in conflict in your marriage. And you, you just want to avoid the conflict. So all of those reasons, and several more, I'm sure. Yeah, I, th- I think the communication piece is so important because I'm going back to like sending a, a playful text, but I also think that really great marital sex begins with an emotional connection. And True. if they're, and if they're, fighting and, you know, arguing and stressed out, 
that emotional connection is not always there. Yeah. And I think that we have to understand that sexual intimacy is not just the sex itself. And I'll say that this is something I was hearing recently another author uh, on sex, Julie Slattery, talk about, who's excellent, how even talking about sex and getting comfortable talking about sex is something that builds sexual intimacy and makes the experience of being physical together later better. Because you're now this close couple that can talk about it and do it. You know, all of that kind of goes in together. Yeah. And, you know, I was going to talk about, are people afraid of being judged to talk about their needs or ask for what they want? And I think they are. But I think it also goes back, Jay, to what you said. They don't want their partner's feelings to be hurt in any way if they're asking for something or um, saying something that they want something different. Mm-hmm. It's just a very, very vulnerable area. And it's awkward. Look, these are conversations are awkward to have the first few times. But as I've said, everything's awkward the first few times that you do it. You know, anyone who's been a mom and watched their kid walk those first few steps are really awkward. But we don't say, Ooh, stop that. That's too awkward. <laughs> you you push past it, whether it's that or playing a sport for the first time, or, you know, like me, the first time I did public speaking, I felt very weird. <laughs> but now, you know, I've done it enough that it's like, well, hand me a mic, I'm ready to go. So we have to just push past that hump and, you know, say, this is important. And, you know, be calm, be respectful, but recognize, you know, your ears may be burning. You may be blushing. It's okay. You can get through that. And over time, you can figure out how to have these conversations positively. This is going to sound like it's coming from, you know, way out there. But a couple of years ago, I was having death cafes And I know that term sounds very scary, but it started over in England and it was actually held in a little cafe. But it was a place of bringing people together to have that uncomfortable conversation about their fears around maybe death and dying. Huh, okay. And they're they're very popular. If if anybody's interested, if, um, if they just Googled death cafe, I'm sure they could find one in their area. But as you're talking, and and we're talking about these uncomfortable conversations, that was a very uncomfortable conversation. But the more people attended, the more they were able to talk about whatever it is that they may have wanted to talk about. And I almost see these conversations with uh, around our intimate lives being like that, too. You just have to get started. And then once you start talking with your your spouse, it becomes easier to do. Yes. And actually, I recently read a book. uh, I can't remember the author, but she had done a lot of counseling of people who had been through trauma. And she ran a support group. And she said every time she started it, everybody told their story. When there was a new person, everyone in there told their story 
And then they got to the new person and the new person was expected to tell their story. And she said the first time everyone's like struggling to tell their story, but after you've told it over and over and over, it's, she said it, it kind of loses its power over you to do that. Now I am not a psychologist, so I don't, anyone take my <laughs> advice on this. I'm just sharing what this woman said, but that made sense to me is that sometimes when you don't talk about something, it just becomes this bigger elephant in the room. And yes, if you just kind of go ahead and converse about it, it loses some of its scariness. Yes, absolutely. And I want to know, and I have talked to some people who knew you were going to be on the podcast. And one of the questions that kept coming up was, could you talk about some things to encourage our partners, and it doesn't matter if it's the husband or the wife, Mm -hmm. to initiate sex more often? Well, the first thing I would say is you can have that conversation and say, hey, it really makes me feel great when you initiate. So that would be nice. You can also talk about what it means to initiate because sometimes somebody thinks they did initiate and the other thinks they didn't. Okay, for instance, I, I'm just, just going to go a little stereotypical here on this one, but a lot of women will maybe hint and they think they initiated because they flirted and they hinted and he doesn't realize it happened because unless she says something like, hey, let's have sex. <laughs> He doesn't realize that was initiation on her part. So it can go the other way as well, for sure. I think uh, sometimes uh, husbands can be more testing the waters in where they do this. So how, how was your day? How are you feeling tonight? Did it, you know, asking like probing questions to see is tonight a good night? And they're kind of hoping that will be seen as initiation. So sometimes we don't even know what counts as initiation. So having a conversation about what does initiation look like to you? And then if initiation is uncomfortable, finding easier ways to do it. For instance, you can come up with a signal, you know, we I tap your thigh three times, that means I'm, I'm good to go if you are. Or there are some people who suggested things like having a candle in your bedroom and lighting it. You know, each of you maybe have a candle on your nightstand. If you're interested, you light it and the other person comes in and sees, you know, Yes or no. Um, So just all those kinds of things. And you can also kind of have an idea of trading off initiating. So maybe you say, hey, we usually have sex twice a week. Uh, Why don't you initiate once and I'll initiate once. So Jay, I love all I love all those suggestions because it goes. And I'm, I'm kind of laughing inside because we sometimes including myself, think our, think our partner is a mind reader. Oh, yeah. And we cannot just hint and think they understand what that means. So I'm, I'm laughing at myself there as well when you said that. <laughs> yeah, and I will say my husband and I have gotten pretty bold, but we'll also do very flirtatious initiating and stuff like that. But, you know, I've mentioned that my uh, husband is nicknamed Spock because of his logic and all that. So initiation can take all forms. It can be a passionate kiss. It can be this, or it could be like when he walked in the other day and he said, Hey, I thought we were going to copulate today. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> sure, let's let's do that. <laughs> like, well, there's no misreading that. <laughs> oh, that just makes me laugh. I love it. <laughs> Yeah, and I've said, honey, your initiation lines are not the best. And he said, they work, don't they? And I was like, well, that's fair. (laughs) So now, when it comes to stress, everybody is so stressed these days. And, you know, that work stress, it impacts our life, which then it impacts our intimate life. And now you've kind of talked again about initiating but let's say the sex drive of one or the other is higher. Any tips on handling that? Because I know that that can be a, such a, I'm going to say a tricky thing in a marriage when one's sex drive is higher than the other. Yeah. I would say in almost every marriage, somebody's higher than the other. Um, But actually, I guess statistically, it seems like about 20% of couples are fairly well matched. In another 20 to 25%, the wife is the higher desire spouse. And in the rest, the husband is higher drive. That's, I mean, they're not perfect statistics, but it's pretty good. Uh, I've looked at a lot of research on this, and I think that's pretty good guesstimate. And um, yeah, it can be a challenge to navigate this. I think once again, it's like when we talk to people about the seasons and say, you need to understand that there are going to be seasons in your marriage, because sometimes those are things like where he could be higher during one season, she could be higher during another season. And just letting people know that whatever's going on, this is something that you're likely going to need to navigate. But it's like everything else. Like, I suspect that one of you likes to go out to eat more than the other. You know, one of you probably likes to exercise more than the other or things like that. So then you're trying to figure out how to um, navigate those things. And, and we have to figure that out. So it's the same kind of thing. So recognize it's, it's very typical. It may change in the course of your marriage. And it does require these conversations, but it also requires understanding from both spouses of the other one. And a lot of times I think we have this notion that sex drive means, well, what it sounds like where it's in the drive gear and you're just in the drive gear and you're ready to go. But actually, maybe if you think about this more as sexual interest and sometimes people need their sexual interest stirred. So oftentimes the lower desire spouse, it's not that they won't enjoy sex. It's just that they're not in drive. They need they need to go through the gears. You know, they're in neutral and they need to go through the gears and they have to figure out what gets me there, what arouses me. And also just kind of having this notion of, all right, maybe I will give it a shot. And, you know, I'll say, hey, all right, well, let's, you know, try for 10 minutes and see if I can get in the mood. Not are you in the mood, but let's see if I can get in the mood. At the same time, the higher desire spouse may need to say, okay, if it were me, I would be having sex every day or or let's, let's be laboristic. I would be having sex three times a week, but my spouse only wants it once a week. So twice a week is good. Twice a week is good. You know, we have to do some of this negotiations. 
And there should never be pressure or demands made around sex. That just shuts down the emotional safety of it. And it makes it very difficult to desire and enjoy. Yes, I I totally um, agree with that. You know, if there's, if it feels like a, a have to, mm-hmm. that, that even wanting to get into the mood or enjoying it just goes right out the window. Right. And I'm the higher desire spouse now in my marriage. I have been everything. I've been lower than my husband. We've been matched and I'm now the higher desire spouse. And I've had to take this attitude of, okay, well, I need to figure out how I can get him to want this too. You know, like, so it's, it's not my job to be like, how can I get the sex that I want? It's how can I get him interested in the way I'm interested so that we can both participate and enjoy. And he and his side is saying, okay, I love you and I want to be with you. And so I'm going to step up. And there are days where, you know, he wasn't immediately there mentally, but he came there because he wants to be there with me. And, you know, everyone left happy. So it was all good. (laughs) (laughs) This might be a great time to like, kind of go into your book. Um, oh, yeah. Pillow, pillow Talk, 40 Conversations uh-huh. About Sex for Married Couples. And is there, how do they get started, like in your book, what are they, like the steps for them to start that conversation? Yeah, the opening chapters are so important. I, I In fact, the first line of the first chapter is do not skip this chapter. <laughs> because <laughs> it lays out kind of the, the ways that you need to set an atmosphere. If you just say, we're going to have conversations, and a lot of things will give you conversation starters, and those can be really good. But if you don't know how to have an effective conversation, you might start talking about things and it turns into tension, conflict, argument, shutting down, whatever. And so we really have to set this stage that it's not just talking about things. A huge, huge part of this is being able to listen. And I think we're not great listeners. And a lot of times what we do is if our spouse says something, we imagine that if we said the same thing, it would mean something that they don't mean. And so we have to get good at saying, okay, what does that mean to you? I'm trying to understand and really take the attitude of, I want you to be able to tell me your story, your thoughts, your feelings. And I mean, I don't agree with everything, but I want to know you. And when we take that attitude and we learn to listen, we create a situation where people are much more willing to speak. And I mean, this is just very common. If you create an emotionally safe space, then you don't really have to tell people to reveal themselves. You don't have to push them to do stuff. They'll just, they will come out with it because they feel like they can share yeah, that whole that whole piece around being or or listening. I'm just gonna I'm I'm gonna just go down this this path for just a second. When you're in a in a marriage, and we've talked about the drive of one or the other being higher than the other, 
But when they are so mismatched, like one person's okay with once a year, mm-hmm. and the other person is like, okay, at, at least once a week, to have those conversations, and this is probably where, you know, a therapist comes in or something, was when there's so mismatched that you can't have that conversation without one or the other becoming really, really upset because of of how totally mismatched it is. Right, right. And I would say in those situations, so a, it's considered a sexless marriage if you're having sex 10 or fewer times a year because you're really not getting the benefits of sexual intimacy in a marriage. And there are really a lot of benefits to your relationship, even to your health. I mean, it sex is really good for your marriage. And it should be happening regularly. Now, we can talk about what regularly should be, but once a year is not regular. <laughs> and also, I would say if it's only once a year, probably not enjoying it as much as you could because it's... Um, it's going to be difficult for your body to experience all the enjoyment. If it's, I don't know, it's kind of like exercising once a year. It's not going to be what it could be if you do it regularly. But if you're in that situation, yeah, you can seek uh, greater conversations but with a counselor. But a lot of times it's because those things break down because we're emotionally involved. And I think we need to to understand also when we're having these conversations, a lot of times we act like we're just arguing or discussing a physical act. And we'll often express it that way. And I, oh my gosh, I counsel a lot of husbands, instead of saying, I want sex to their wives to say, I want you, because that's really what they want. And our emotions get caught up in this. The ones who don't want sex, they feel they might feel used when sex happens, maybe based on something that happened prior. Uh, maybe they have sexual trauma from their past. Maybe they had teaching that sex was bad outside marriage and it was so effective they feel like sex is bad in marriage. And so... For all those reasons, their emotions are tied up in all of that. And it, they, they're not going to tease it out and just say, oh, okay, well, I'm flipping a switch and I'm happy to have sex tomorrow. On the other hand, the one who wants to be physically intimate feels personally rejected. And I often hear them say, I feel lonely in my marriage. I feel undesired, unloved. And so we're just all caught up in this with emotions and we need to recognize there's a tenderness about this. And if it's something that is just too difficult to navigate in your own relationship to have these conversations, definitely do seek out a counselor. Thank you, Jay, for, for just going deeper into that, because I know that um, in talking to several people recently, um, that that has been a a big, a big thing weighing on their heart. And I, and I just want to make that comment also that it is not just the act that they are looking for. It is that whole intimate piece. Yeah, sex when it's what it's supposed to be in marriage, 
there's not just a physical nakedness, but an emotional nakedness. You are as close as two people can get. (laughs) And you're, you want to be seen and loved for who you are. And, you know, that's how it's supposed to be. And I think we sort of know that. But it's a journey to get there for a lot of people. And and again, it's not that you have to, you know, I've got all kinds of sex tips all over my website, if somebody's looking for that kind of stuff. But there's also a lot of things of saying, hey, if you're nowhere near that, that's fine. What's your next step? What is just one next step that I can move closer to what this is supposed to look like? You have been so wonderful. And I want to respect your time. Um, But I have just a couple more things I really wanted to ask you if you've got time. Sure, go ahead. So as we've been talking, what is the one key takeaway that you really want our listeners to get today? I think actually, I think I might have just said it, which was the the take, figure out what your next step is and take that. But that could just be having a conversation with your spouse and saying, you know what? I just think that our sexual intimacy could be better. Now, that could be, it's already good. And you say, I think it could be even better. Or it could be, it's nowhere near that. And you say, I think this matters in our marriage. And I don't know what it looks like, but we need to to figure this out because I think it's important. And I want to be able to have these conversations with you and really hear you out. And I want you to be able to hear me and let's let's work on this area of our marriage. Mm, that's beautiful. Now, how can people find you, your website, your social media, everything about Jay Parker and your books? Yes, everything is actually straight up on my website, which is hotholyhumorous.com. And it's H-U-M-O-R-O-U-S, humorous. <laughs> I realized later, I was like, oh, I hope the... Uh, British speakers can find me without the additional you in there. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, so it's there and you can click through and find podcasts, uh, you know, this, that social media, but if any social media you go onto, whether it's Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Pinterest, I'm on all of those. And I would just say, type into the search bar, hot, holy humorous, and you will find me. That's my handle pretty much everywhere. So and my books are on all the bookstores, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, uh, Apple Books, Google Books. I think they should be all in there. All right. I will put all that in the show notes as well. And then the last thing, what would you thank your 18-year-old self for? Ah, wow, I was such a mess at 18. <laughs> what would I thank my 18-year-old self for? That's such a good question. I think I would thank her for perseverance. That, you know, she didn't have it all figured out, but she didn't give up. She wanted to know, and she kept going. Mm, I love that. Thank you so much for being a guest. Thanks for having me. This has been delightful. Thanks for listening. 
If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. I would love to hear your favorite part of the conversation. And with that being said, I also have something I want to announce. Now, this may not be for everybody, but this might be perfect for some of you. I would like to extend an invitation to join a doTERRA 30-day cleanse that I will be hosting on April 12, 2023. Are you open to that idea? The last three years have been hard, not only emotionally, but on our physical health as well. And I believe when a group of women come together that have similar needs and desires, magic happens. So I'm inviting you to join women in community as we give ourselves permission to feel good and be all in on ourselves. This is a wellness lifestyle change, not a diet. I do have a special enrollment link that you will need to be able to use. It is on my website, CynthiaMacMillan.com, and I will also have it in the show notes. I look forward to doing this cleanse with you. Thank you.